The readings today come from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those manipulators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church as the righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I know consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Father, your word is alive and active. It is sharp. It is there for our guidance. And the only way that we can truly know who you are and what you are like is by opening, proclaiming, and reading your word. And so, Father, I pray that you bless this time, that you give us the ears to hear and the eyes to see Uh, what you have for us during this time. We thank you for your word and we give you all of the glory. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. One of the things from a young age that we typically want to see in children is confidence. Why? Because when you have confidence, you can typically succeed more in school, and in life. When you're confident in your ability to do things, to read, to write, to, of course, drive later in life, all of these things, when you are confident, you are generally most likely going to succeed in life. I see confidence, and I smile when I see confidence in our children. My son spells his name, or counts to 10 or 20 like he can now, and I give him a high five, and I say, good job, he gets confidence. When my daughter climbs something at the playground that's really high, without any help, and I congratulate her, I give her a high five, she smiles. Confidence. We, of course, usually see confidence in people like athletes. When they shoot the ball, they shoot the ball, they know it's in the net, or in the to 
exhibit confidence in helping their patients. There is, of course, something called overconfidence as well. Some of us know stories of people who have been overconfident. James Dobson, who founded Focus on the Family, once wrote about a friend who definitely had overconfidence. The story goes like this. One day, this confident man was walking through the campus, laden with books and a briefcase. He passed by a fast food stand, something to eat, and a milkshake to wash it all down. He balanced it on top of his briefcase and began looking for an empty table to sit down at. While looking, the milkshake got the better of him, and he bent down without looking in order to take a sip from the straw. The straw missed his mouth, ended up, you guessed it, in his nose. <laughs> of course, he was embarrassed, but not at a loss. He thought that if he straightened up, the straw would just come out and stay in the milkshake. But when he lifted his head, the straw came out in his nose. Of course, dripping the milkshake all over his nice suit. In that moment, all of his confidence was gone. Today, if you haven't been with us for a while or you need a reminder, we've been going to the book of Philippians. That first Sunday in January may seem like a long time ago. The book of Philippians now today with a look into confidence and specifically where we are looking to have our confidence in and from. The question for us this morning is this. Would you consider yourself a confident person? Would you consider yourself pretty confident? I think your answer to that question may change as we go through this passage this morning. At the very least, your understanding of what confidence actually is. So my hope, as is my hope every Sunday, is that we go through this passage with humility. In fact, if you weren't here last week, this whole passage that we went through was about humility. Two characters, Timothy and Epaphroditus, were these people that Paul sent to the church in Philippi to encourage them. Their example showed lives of humility, the above their own, and ultimately the interest of God and his gospel above their own comfort. Humility, of course, all stems from the humility of Christ, who humbled himself to the form of a servant, to the cross, praying for our sins. This was and is the ultimate form of humility. And in our finite minds, we are called to display glimpses of his humility in our daily lives, including today as we approach the word of God. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd really encourage you to open up to yourself, just so you know I'm not making this up, or at least follow on the screen. Philippians 3, 1 to 11. We'll be looking at the first six verses first. Philippians 3, 1 to 6. Let's approach this with humility. Paul writes again, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by boast in Christ Jesus, 
and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul begins his proclamation in this passage to the Philippians by reminding them of an Old Testament command. Psalm 11 says, Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. In Psalm 32, 11, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. In both of these passages from the books, book of Psalms, the psalmist writes these to the communities of believers to praise the Lord for who he is and what he has and is doing. This is what Paul is getting at as well. This theme, if you've been following along in the book of Philippians, this theme of being united with Christ eternally in life and death is the greatest reason to be joyful and rejoice. Paul says here it's no trouble for him to repeat himself, to write the same things again. In fact, it's a safeguard because we often forget of what our God has done and to rejoice in the Lord. In fact, this won't be the last time he will say this phrase because it's so important. Later in this passage, Paul will give us more reason to rejoice in the Lord like we need more. Earlier in Philippians, he's already said that our union with Christ is so much that to live and to die is gain. That the work that God did in our hearts, in the regeneration of our souls to be born again, is a work that he will continue to do so until the day of Christ Jesus. The reasons to rejoice in the Lord this as how often we don't rejoice in the Lord. In our thankfulness and motives, it is often so much easier to put our rejoicing, our joy in something else. But Paul reminds us not twice, but three times in this entire book to rejoice in the Lord. And so we start our passage today with that posture, rejoice in the Lord. Keep following along here to takes a bit of a turn, as you might have noticed, or if you've read this before. Paul takes, says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Now, it is said that the original Greek, which of course Paul wrote this in and transcribed it from, cannot fully translate to the English because of the mere tone set by Paul. These words here come with caution, they come with warning, and a hurt from Paul for those who have been hurt by false teachers. He says to watch out for the dogs. Now sometimes we might think that Paul is trying to be silly here, but he's not being silly or trying to make a joke by using this word, even the word evildoers. 
These are all vivid descriptions of those who hurt in any way, especially preaching a false gospel to people that God has saved. He ends the verse by saying they are mutilators of the flesh. Another graphic description of the dogs and evildoers. But in order to see this correctly, we need to take a look at the next verse a little bit. We look at, as Paul says in verse for it is we who are the circumcision. In Galatians 5.2, Paul tells that church in Galatia, who specifically had false teachers come into their presence and preach a false gospel, he says these words, Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Jesus, in Matthew 15.18, says, But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. Out of the heart. Even in 1 Samuel 16, 7, as God talks to the prophet Samuel, it says this, The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearances or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The issue of these teachers in the book of Philippians, these people who are the mutilators of the flesh, is that they have put their confidence in circumcision, in the physical, and not in Christ, His grace, and His work in us. The issue isn't being circumcised. For many followers of Christ are physically circumcised today. But rather the issue was what our confidence actually is in. Circumcision, of course, was a visible and physical mark of being God's chosen people. Through this, many people believe that circumcision was a prerequisite to being saved. Now, of course, in the New Covenant, which we celebrated earlier with the Lord's Supper, through Jesus, the mark of God's chosen people is a life led by the Spirit and a life boasting in Christ Jesus. If you look at verse Three, this is where we are. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Paul makes a really bold statement by saying that we are the circumcision, those who serve God by His Spirit and boast in Christ. The Philippian church is one who is most likely filled with Gentiles, those who weren't born into God's covenant people, much like Paul was and others who were around them. They and we are commanded to put no confidence in the flesh. But Paul here reveals that he has the greatest reason to be confident in the flesh. He says this as we go on, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. If there is somebody who had the most confidence for his own work and his own achievements, it was the Apostle Paul. Circumcised on the eighth day, perfect timing. Of the people of Israel, 
Of course, born into God's covenant people of the tribe of Benjamin, like his name. The highest and greatest of the Jews. These are all things he was born into. None of these were things he had control over. The second half of these things are things he attained, things in regard to the law. He was a Pharisee or Pharisaic in regard to the law, meaning that he kept the law as his highest standard and guide to life. He was passionate, zealous, persecuted the church. Righteousness, he was absolutely blameless, perfect, and faultless. If Paul's confidence was based on the flesh, he would have the greatest confidence in the world. This brings up the question, though, is all flesh bad? What does flesh actually mean in this passage? Does this whole passage mean that God doesn't want us to have confidence in our own bodies? Does it mean body, or does it mean things accumulated over your life? For this answer, let's go before Philippians 1, 21 to 24. The same word flesh here is they put the word body here. The NIV puts the word body, but it's the same word in Greek. It says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So in this case, body, flesh is good. Flesh means more fruitful labor for Paul and, of course, for us who are still alive. So when can flesh be good? If it is by serving God by his and both glorifying in Christ. If our flesh, if our bodies, if our achievements are being used for the glory of God, then yes, Absolutely, that is good. But the command stays here in Philippians 3. Put any confidence in the flesh. What can we have confidence in? What should our confidence be in? Where should it be? Attempt to try and answer that question. Paul writes, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Now, have you ever worked so hard at something and then realized that none of it mattered or even helped in the end? Of course, when I was still in school, this happened at times. You study for a test thinking that you're studying for one thing, but the test is something else. What about life in general? How would it feel like to spend your whole life doing so much when in the end it was all 
loss. I think one of the greatest obstacles to applying truth from the Bible for all of us to our own lives is our tendency to depend on our own things, our own experiences, our own achievements, our plaques on the wall. Paul was the same as we just read, as he depended on his own righteousness, achievements, both ones he was born into and ones he attained through the law. But Paul here says there is a joyful alternative on your own, that there is something that is worth more than anything you could ever achieve in your life. This is a message we need today. In a time and age where politicians are doing all they can to puff up their own achievements, promises, and name, in a time and age where people are spending all of their time on the internet so that people see them and hopefully pay them for something, we need this message. We need to hear and be reminded over and over and over and over again that it is all lost compared to one thing, the surpassing worth, the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord, for whose sake we will lose all things. Paul realizes this, and he says that all of his righteousness based on the law is nothing. In fact, Isaiah describes our works as filthy rags. Says this, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Paul also mentions the word loss or lost three times in verse 7 and 8, meaning that he truly believes that knowing Christ is worth losing all other things. Are we willing to do this? Are you willing to do this? Your answer to that is you on a path that you may not want to take. Do you have such a confidence in your justification, which we'll talk about in a second, by faith in Christ? such a confidence in knowing Christ that you are willing to lose absolutely everything. Your fame, your achievements, your money, your vacation. So you can know the worth and value of Christ. Verse 6 and 9 tell us exactly what it is that Paul has been talking about the whole time. What kind of confidence it actually is. That it's not a confidence in being able to come up on a stage and teach or a confidence in your own abilities, but rather a confidence of standing before God. This is, a, this is called the doctrine of justification by faith alone, in Christ alone. This is what allows you to stand before God. And if there's anything that you want to take back away from this message, I pray that you hear this. Because Paul knows that righteousness, true righteousness comes of faith, faith in Christ. Hebrews 11.6 echoes this truth. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This justification is a gift from God, an act of free grace, so that God receives the glory for his work in us. 
Romans 8.33 tells us this plainly. Who will bring any charge against whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. God is the one who justifies. Above God, there is no higher court. If God is the one that tells you you have been justified, no one else can appeal it. Being united with Christ means we are secure and justified through faith in Christ. Paul knows that all else is garbage compared to the union of being with Christ and knowing him. He understands the beauty of knowing Jesus right now, living and eternally, even when he dies, for the die is gain. But this knowing Christ is simply not just an intellectual exercise. Paul tells the church that to know Christ is also to know the power of his resurrection, if you follow along in this passage, and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And as Paul does often, he repeats himself, repeats one of the minor themes, but still a theme in the book of Philippians, that believing and following Christ also means to suffer for him. Philippians 1.29 says this, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Suffering is not an option, although we may want it to be an option for the Christ follower. For to know Christ and to believe in him means to participate in his sufferings. And as people who are serving God by the Spirit, as people who boast in Christ Jesus or glorify or exalt Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, we want to know the power of the resurrection. For the same power who raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in us. Our union with Christ proclaims that we have been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20, and we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. That the life we now live in the body, we live by faith in the Son of who loved us and gave himself for us. There are a lot of things in the passage today, a lot of great things in just 11 verses. But let's ask ourselves some questions before we get to close. Do you have such a confidence in knowing Jesus Christ that you are willing to lose everything else? Suffer for him, rejoice in him, serve him, and put no confidence in anything else besides faith in Christ. Perhaps some of us could say yes to some of these things. Rejoice in him, yes. Serve him, yes. But suffer for him. Lose everything and count everything else as garbage. And in all of these things, putting no confidence in our own achievements, in the flesh. Do you truly Jesus? and are willing to lose all things for the surpassing of Him. The life of being led by Christ, by the Spirit, isn't an easy one, but is the only one. It is the only one that truly matters through it all. Eternally, this changes everything and matters for us because when we stand before God, are we going to feel confident in our own works, in our own righteousness, or will we be confident in the righteousness of Jesus imputed? It has been given to you. 
if we don't understand or fully live in confidence with our hope in justification by faith alone, we will be working and working and working in order to be justified before God. If we understand with our whole being, though, our worship becomes more passionate, our faith stronger, because we have a full confidence that the righteousness of Jesus is ours as well. As I mentioned to the kids a little while ago, many people in this world are trying so many different things, different paths to try and know this God that we worship, the God who created all of us. But the gospel is clear that Jesus is the only way to God, to knowing God. Only faith in Christ Jesus can we be justified before God. This isn't a popular answer to the world. And to fully know this means you know the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus as Lord, even when it means to lose all things. All is lost compared to the value and worth of knowing Jesus as Lord. The only way any of us can have confidence in any shape or form is through faith in Christ, which results in knowing and desiring God, Christ, above all things. And as we close, I'm going to close with this verse, this passage from Matthew. And are we willing to go after the world and our achievement Jesus? He gives these words. It says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Believe in Christ. Suffer for him. Boast in him and put no confidence in the flesh. Let that be our call, our challenge for this week and beyond. Let's pray. Father, what a confidence in you. We have a confidence that uh, you will complete your work done in us, and we have a confidence that our righteousness through Jesus is not our own, but that of Jesus, who loved us and died for us. And so, Father, may we live out that truth. May we live it out with confidence in telling others about this hope we have. In Jesus' name we pray.